Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of The Mason Jar is brought to you by Grove City College, a Pennsylvania Christian college founded in 1876, serving high-achieving students and offering degrees in the liberal arts, engineering, sciences, business, and education. All degrees are anchored by a Western Civilization core curriculum. Located in Grove City, Pennsylvania, the college's mission is to equip students to pursue their unique callings through an academically excellent and Christ-centered living and learning experience while maintaining affordable tuition. Ask a friend about Grove City College and schedule a visit to one of the nation's most beautiful Christian college campuses. You can learn more at gcc.edu. That's gcc.edu. Hello and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern and I am joined, of course, on The Mason Jar by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's it's going okay. It's a it's a new year. It's January midwinter, so <laughs> Do you do you like the new year? Like do you like that reboot, restart, oh, refresh? Yeah, I'm a big the... new year fanatic. I like the new year a lot. Um I'm all about rebooting. I mean, I reboot. I don't like just reboot at the new year i'm good at rebooting constantly but um i like the chance to to reboot especially after the holidays you have you're going to reboot anyway so it's nice to have a major a major you know where everybody's on the same page everybody's trying to pull their life back together are you a big resolutions person or has that kind of waxed and waned a resolutions person i'm not a resolutions person i'm not like um starry-eyed and oh, i'm just gonna this is gonna be the year and i'm gonna change everything but i am um someone who you know likes to have good habits and so i i do like to take the new year to to get off to you know to and, and my attitude is towards that is you know if if you you're not going to make it a year on, on resolutions, but you can make it 
a month or you can make it two yeah, weeks yeah. or, and that's two weeks of good. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I don't stress about, you know, oh no, I made a, this resolution. It didn't turn out that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I do make, you know, have ideas in my head. Yeah. I usually make a resolution about how many books I'm going to read and I pretty much always that, you know, a couple years ago it didn't, but sometimes, you know, it's all good because it doesn't really matter whether I reach my total or not. I'm going to read more because I have a goal ahead of me. Oh yeah. Well, we are here to answer. Uh, well, you are here to answer some questions uh, from our listeners and I'm here to ask you them. Um, and one of the things we're going to talk about is your, uh, your reading habits and particularly some of the books that you read in 2017. So we're going to end the show with that. But in the meantime, we've got three other questions for you from listeners uh, before we get to that, though, I just want to remind people about our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash masonjar. And uh, over there, we are posting all of Cindy's talks that she's given at past Cersei conferences. I think there's like 13 or 14. So those are all going up. We've been busily uploading those. Um, and hopefully, we're going to finish that today. So all those files will be there. Um, if you are a Patreon supporter, your uh, poster and bookmarks and things like that should be going out uh, this month. Um, so you should start seeing those showing up in the mail if, uh, if they haven't already. And then um, we are also going to be, um, you'll be... You'll be able to access all those talks that Cindy has given. Uh, there's a little... Uh, underneath the button that says become a pa patron or whatever it says on the Patreon page. Underneath that, there's an RSS link. And you can actually take that link and you can add that to the Apple Podcast app or Podcast Addict or... Uh, wherever you get podcasts, you can just take that link and add it to your app so that every time we post a new conference talk that Cindy gives, then it'll automatically show up in the feed for that link. Um, and so when Cindy gives a talk at the Kindred conference coming up in March uh, that, that Cersei's putting on, then that will also show up in that feed, um, which of course takes me to that conference. Cindy, Angelina Stanford, and Christine Perrin from Classical Academic Press are going to be coming here to North Carolina in March for a one-day women's conference. That's the Kindred Conference. It's our annual, annual conference. Uh, Cindy, what, what, what are you going to be? That's March 24th, I believe. Do you right. know yet what you're going to be speaking about? Well, I'm gonna, we have a verse for the thing. I just love it. Your mom uh, picked this verse. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's Romans 15, 13. So um, we are going to be speaking about that. And so I hope I'm going to be speaking about peace, joy, and hope, <laughs> which is broad enough to leave people wondering what um, what we're going to be talking about. But that's, that's yeah. what I'm going to be talking about. Um, and, 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 and as it relates to our lives, our everyday lives, and mm -hmm. because those things are kind of big concept, elusive uh, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, we wrestle with them. And, and, and uh, so I, I hope we can, um, we can hash out what it means um, in, our, in our teaching lives and in our, our lives as mothers and, and just as mm -hmm. humans. Yeah. Well, you know, this is kind of an interesting segue to our first question. Um, so I'm just going to dive right into that. I think maybe this will, it's, it's at least related. Okay. And so the first question is, we got a few questions um, about homeschooling through upheaval, I think is a word that I saw a couple of mm. times. So yes. somebody mentioned, I uh, saw several questions on there where people were asking each other for advice about, you know, I just had a baby. Um, and feel like we're getting way behind in homeschooling. Um, or uh, we moved all the way across the country and there's just tons of upheaval. Everything kind of gets turned upside down. Now, and you've been through 
many, many moves. Anybody who's read your book yeah. knows yeah. that you've moved many times. And then of course you had, you were homeschooling while, uh, while you having newborns, newborn babies around yeah. and just all different kinds yeah, of cancer. Of that sort. And, you know, we had all kinds of, uh, bad things happen <laughs> along the way. Yeah. Um, so do our, you have any challenges? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for, well, you do have to, that? you, I think what happens is you went, I always say this. So I, I hate if someone listens to me for years on end, they're like, okay, here she goes. <laughs> but if you're faithful in the good times, then you can afford to, to rest in the bad times and, 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 and just do what you can do and not um, stress about it. Um, be faithful when, when, you know, make hay while the sun shines. And then when the sun goes behind a cloud and the rains and the storms come and you can't for sheer, you know, logistics, you're in the middle of a move, you really can't homeschool that well. There are things you can do. You can do audio books. You can, um, you know, set up things for your kids in certain ways. Um, and, and, and if you get on the mere motherhood page, you'll you know, there's all kinds of great ideas like that, uh, where you can, where you can kind of learn on the slide. And if you remember like Charlotte Mason said, um, that education is a life, then you realize that there are a lot of lessons that we're learning in life when things are, are not um, in our nice um, everyday. We need, we need our everyday routines, but when they are broken by life, um, we need to realize that that is also, that is a time to, to learn and grow. And then that is a time when um, we're stretched beyond our capacity and we come to the end of ourselves very often and, and the end of our home schools and then um and then we grow through that so um we have to we have to allow ourselves the grace to have a bad year about six months about three weeks um it's okay if if during those times we we stop and we don't have our regular routines. It's just, it's, it's better if you're not going to have a regular routine and you can't, it's better not to stress about it than to add also the stress of worrying about the regular routine during that time. Uh, if when you add that on top of everything else, it can really be a negative. So you want to concentrate on being joyful. I would say that I didn't do this very well. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, let go of the things you can't do and try to be joyful in the things that you can do during really hard times, because we don't want our children to be overwhelmed with um, negative emotions all the time and mm -hmm. frustration. Those are things that really wear wear down a family. So giving mm -hmm. in sometimes to just that this is a hard time. You know, we have to run back and forth to the hospital, or we have to unpack um, boxes all day and. Um, physically we're exhausted even after sometimes after things like that um it takes yeah. a little bit of time to recover yeah. sometimes you have a lot of strength in the middle of a of, of one of those things and then it, it's over and you kind of collapse emotionally or physically and you just you you need to give yourself some grace during those times P learning does not happen in a straight line it, it always is a series of stops and starts and stops and starts and full speed ahead and you think man we're going to be at harvard by the age of eight at this rate um but <laughs> but then boom life happens and things you know we don't learn constantly you know it's just not learn 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 um so so some of those times are just great times for our family dynamics to change too 
this is what I was telling a friend of mine during a recent time uh, of a funeral. Sometimes during these really, really hard times, mom is busy and she has to step back and do other things. These are great times for the children to take on new responsibilities and be, maybe step up, everybody step up a pace. And you'll find that happening. And it turns out to be really, really helpful in a family. Okay, everybody moved up a pace. Now when we go back to our regular routine, um, these children have matured some during this time and people have taken responsibilities that they hadn't had before. And it ends up being a, a plus. Hmm. So one thing that I was talking about this with my wife recently, because when you have, <clears throat> when you have younger kids, which I know a yeah. lot of the people on the Facebook group do, and, and a lot of listeners do, when you have younger kids and something, some kind of upheaval happens, whether it's a move or a new baby or whatever it is, it feels like you've just barely gotten started. Yeah. And so like, if you have a, a kid who's five, six, seven in that range, like I do, and you feel like you're kind of, I don't know if I want to say failing them or whatever, but you feel like you're not setting good groundwork for their future learning or their future schooling, or you feel like it's been so haphazard that they're not really um, going to be cultivating the right sort of habits early on. And everybody knows how early, how, how uh, important those early formative years are. <clears throat> so do you have any advice for a situation like that where, you know, you can, you just, you literally can only do so much Right. Um, but you also don't want to, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just put it the extreme way. You also don't want to ruin, you know, right. you, the, yes. the foundation. <laughs> right. Well, I think we have to look at the foundation a little bit differently in that situation. I mean, if you think about the history of the world and how people learned and how people grew, very little of that was structured um, in, in the way we structure education these days. Yeah. So p learning is taking place, first of all. We, we have to understand that. If we have an environment, a home full of books and wonderful things that puzzles and all the things we've talked about before, then you right away, you're, you're way ahead of the game. You have that environment. And if you, if, if, you have an environment where your children see you learning, then you have that too. So learning in this structured, formal way that we like to call education is really just a small piece of the puzzle of, of education. So once you understand that, I think you can give yourself a little grace. And then the understanding that, um, you know, as your child, I've, I've said this before, but, you know, if you don't teach your child, say this, what, sounds an animal makes. Um, and you ask them when they're six years old, what, what does a cow say? Some miraculous way, they're going to know that a cow says moo, even though you've never told them that. Yeah. Um, somehow they pick that up. So I think you have to have respect for how much learning actually takes place in a good, solid environment, hmm. not, yeah. uh, not in a bad environment, not in an environment where the TV is on and there's a lot of screen time. Um, that that's something you want to watch out for. You don't want to give in to um, um, that. You know, a lot of this I'm thinking of in a time when in our family, you know, we didn't have any of that to, to fall back on. So the, the only thing the kids could do when they were bored and they couldn't go outside was to pick up a book and look at either read it or look at it. And even little children will sit around and look at books and, oh, yeah. and their minds yeah. will be working on that. So so yes, it's really helpful with something like phonics to go steadily along and learn, you know, your phonics. And 
But if, like I said, if you make hay while the sun shines, if when times are good, you are faithful, um, very rarely will um, those hard times truly uh, mess up your child. Now, if you're not faithful, yes. If you just <laughs> one thing to the next and you don't make good use of your time uh, when you have it, then yes, that could eventually be a negative for your child. And then you need to step back and say, "But well, what am I doing? If I'm uh, if I if I don't, I need to have some sort of personal discipline in order to homeschool my children. And if I don't have that, then that that's a bigger question. Not not yeah. did this bad time interfere with our homeschool, but did is it my own shortcomings, my own inability um, to overcome myself might have, might be getting in the way, mm-hmm. which is, I don't mean to be ugly about that. That sounds really harsh, but <laughs> I, I, I think that since we, I'm not talking to anybody in particular, yeah, um, that yeah. would be something to ask yourself. Yeah. I, I guess that's probably something we should be asking ourselves as parents just kind of all the time. Like mm-hmm. where, where is my inability to get over myself you know, yeah, yes. causing my kids problems. I think, yeah, that is called parenthood uh, <laughs> uh, every day. Okay. I got to get over myself. Again. <laughs> okay. Let's shift gears a little bit here. This is a much more um, kind of specific practical question. Well, not that that wasn't practical, but like this is a more narrow question. Um, when do you think is a good age to start nature notebooks? Is it, do you, do they need to wait to be able to like write more or or would you start really young? Like when, no, even when their uh, pictures yeah. have no con, like there's no connection between what actually turns out being on the page and what they were looking at. Yeah. I mean, my, some of our nature notebooks um, are, you would have to just know they're a nature notebook to know they're a nature <laughs> notebook. Um, it, it's, if your whole family, it, now with the older kids and younger kids, of course, the younger kids always want to do what the older kids are doing. So right. your two-year-old, your three-year-old, you can buy them a little spiral. I I saved, I would save the really nice nature notebooks for, you know, the six-year-old, the seven-year-old, like they're starting school, they get a beautiful, but when they're in the preschool years, you could maybe just get them a spiral book with the, um, with the, you know, the nice paper in it and mm, a little yeah. bit, something small that they can handle well and give them some pencils and um, nice colored pencils, not Crayola, um, you know, some real good um, high quality pencils and let them, and let them use those. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think, you know, that all they're doing at that point is imitating what their siblings are doing. But if yeah. you don't have yeah. siblings or if you just have small children, there's no reason why you can't be who they're imitating and you have your nature notebook and, and they have theirs and you say, let's all get our nature notebooks out and it, and you know, um, you work on yours and they work on theirs. And that's a good example too. So really, honestly, if a child can sit and scribble, um, they can have a nature notebook. Probably three would be probably the ideal there. If you're going to, you know, obviously when they're two, they gen- genuinely are just going to be scribbling and not yeah, yeah. really tune into the fact that, oh, we're actually doing something here. Yeah. Although it certainly never hurt hurt anyone to scribble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there any... Um... Was there any particular ways of using nature notebooks that worked really well for the younger kids for you? I mean, or things that they really enjoyed or took to as far as what they were drawing yeah. or writing or whatever? I, I've, I've traditionally been the uh, person that has a whole different, my whole way of using nature notebooks was a little bit different than um, what is described in Charlotte Mason. Um, mm. and, and, and because of that, it was, it's my, it's just. You what renegade. Worked. 
yes, I, I did what worked in my family. And, <laughs> and, and because of that, we have a lot of the nature notebooks that we completed. If we had done it the other way, the Charlotte Mason way, um, it would have it felt like an ordeal that I never got to, something I never got to. But what we did was, for one thing, my kids played outside a lot. So I let that stand um, there. And then we went on nature walks frequently because we lived at, at one point, we lived in a, a neighborhood where that was possible. And then, um, but so for nature notebooks, instead of saying, let's go on a nature walk and let's get our item. And sometimes we did do this, but for the most part, um, why, and I've said this before, while I was reading aloud in morning time, that we have tons of nature books. And, and that's the first thing I think I would invest in if I was a lot of, um, um, books, field guides, beautiful, um, table, uh, you know, the coffee table books on nature or, or artists that have of, um, that do nature drawing, the, um, uh, um, just, there's all kinds of books that, you know, the diary of a country woman, that kind of book, but, mm. but, um, there are all kinds of children, even children's picture books that are nature-based artists who have done, um, um, beautiful drawings of, of nature. So we would get those out and everybody would put, pick one out and try to imitate a picture of nature and try to label it in some way. I mean, we did not even get so deep as to do the Latin. Now, there are some people that have beautiful nature notebooks with the Latin words and the, and, and, and all this information about it. That that's great. Someone said recently they had never gotten around to really being able to use the, the Anna Comstock book, the handbook of nature study. I have two or three copies of that book and I've never successfully used that in a way that was even even when I was using it, there was a web page for a while that was helping me use it. But even then, we I can't say that we actually succeeded in that. But over the long haul, once again, uh, because we were looking at nature books every day, that we were going outside all the time, we were aware when we were outside to look for things and be have our eyes open. Um, I think that that at least turned out to be something that we got done and, and, and otherwise it would have been something that never happened. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I, I persist in talking about that because um, if you're a purist, then you're not going to like that because it, it, um, it's not, it's not exactly the way um, and it may not even be the best way, but it, if it's between um, what does Edith Schaefer say? If you want all or nothing, you get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Cindy Rollins, Ruffling Feathers on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> 2015. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's probably something we should talk about sometime, like the idea of, maybe not the all or nothing part, but the, the question of like being a purist, like where you should be trying to, trying for perfection and where you should just be kind of trying to work, work within and despite and around your limit, not around your limitations, but just kind of understanding them. Um, when I went to visit Wendell Berry in October for an interview that I did with him, that's coming out in our magazine this spring, we, um, he kept talking about the, the idea of winter, spring, <laughs> whatever time. soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, right. Spring is around the corner. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whenever we get it done. Um, he, he talked a lot about limitation, like how, mm. We, we have to live within our limitations, whether you're a large business or a small farmer. And that, and he was kind of talking about how people are just not good at accepting their limitations. Yeah. Everyone's trying to go beyond them. 
And that's sometimes that's okay um, to kind of sort of push beyond what you like what's expected of you or, or whatever. Right, right. But you still have, but there's still a place for understanding, um, understanding what your limitations are and what it means to try to go beyond them and, and what, what it means to stretch yourself. And um, sometimes propriety is, you know, tells you that you, and, and wisdom tells you, you need to just work within the limitations that you have. Um, and so sometimes that can mean that you can't, you can't be a perfectionist or you, you, you can't be a purist or you can't do everything quite how you would in an ideal world. Right. Um, right. Uh, I think that's absolutely beautiful. I I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that, that, that I feel like that is the message that we need to get out there at this point in time, because so much on the internet right now is uh rah, 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 go out there, kick butt, you know, do, <laughs> I'm yeah. not allowed to say that, um, you know, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> be, the best you can be the best you can be. Um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're the greatest, you can do the, you know, a lot of that, um, thinking grow rich type of mentality. It's everywhere. And, and, and sometimes it's mildly helpful. I'm not saying it isn't. I always right. say most of that stuff would make a great brochure. Instead, it's like 500 books people are <laughs> writing on the subject. Yeah, yeah. Good idea. Good idea. That's very helpful. Uh, and we have limitations now and nobody wants to talk about that because, and yet, um, I'm reading a diet book right now. I'm really a fan of diet books. And um, that's that's exactly what she's saying. You know, let's stop pretending we're going to do all these amazing, um, and let's just build a couple habits here. Let's drink enough water every day. Let's, let's not say we're going to exercise six times a week for an hour a day. Let, let's just try to exercise 10 minutes a day or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that's exactly how you have to start with Charlotte Mason. You have mm-hmm. to start um, and, and I say this with morning time all the time because people all the time say, I started morning time and I failed at it. And usually they're starting with this full-blown morning time. Um, that is not the way to start morning time. Um, that is a vision that you can, you, it's always good to have a good vision. And maybe that's where some of these books can help us. We have a vision, but the vision, what we're doing on a daily basis is taking small steps in the right direction. Um, and, 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 and falling down and getting back up and trying again. And with, uh, with our schools and our homes, we can, we can do the same thing. We can do a little bit of nature study every day and we can do a little bit. Um, we don't have to have it all, um, um, and I think you'll find that when people do get it, someone who has figured it all out and has it down perfectly, that in the end, they're missing something. Um, and they don't know it. Something is missing there in a perfect um, setup. Uh, maybe humility. Maybe humility be, would be what's missing. I don't know. Um, but um, uh, I, I always think about it. This kind of idea, like when I, when I was in school, I studied uh, film studies, mm. and um, I didn't I re- know. I didn't know that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, but but when I was, you know, they they would give us these projects, and you'd go make a short film or whatever, and someone you'd hear kids talk about how they wanted to go make like feature length movies. Mm-hmm. But it's so this seems like the idea of like you're giving a student who's never really made a movie before, and you're asking them to. Or, or you're asking a student who's never made a movie before thinks they can go out and make a feature-length movie that's going to be really good, but they've never made a five-minute movie that right. taught them to 
uh, hone their skills or focus on very specific things or learn how to set up a frame for a good shot. You know, if you're, if you haven't done, if you haven't learned some, I don't want to call them basics, but just some essential, uh, essential habits, essential skills, um, in the context of a short five minute film, that's just practicing, then you're not going to be able to go and make a two hour, hour and a half long feature film. That's going to be what you, what you dream it to be. Right. Um, it's going to be a terrible, mediocre or awful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Where you could have done a beautiful, wonderful scene or. Uh... Right. And it, you, you have to, you know, I guess you just have to build up to it. You have to it, understanding that you don't, you know, that it takes. Well, it's just understanding limitations again, because it yeah. takes practice to go beyond, you know, the basics. And there's right. nothing wrong with being at the point where maybe it is a pride thing, as you mentioned. It, there's nothing wrong with going with with being okay with not knowing everything yet. Right, like, right. It's okay you to be learn limited. From that. Yeah, you yeah. can learn from tr- stretching yourself a little too far. Yeah. Okay, we got two more questions yeah, I, here. These. Yeah, let me. I'll just say this. Um, our yeah. school at the end of the year, I was going to do a. Uh, a version of the Tempest that a friend of mine, uh, Joyce McPherson had written. Um, and she had performed it with a group of kids. And I thought, well, instead of our end of the year program, we're going to do the Tempest. Well, then I found out the kids were going out of town for a while. And I thought, now what am I going to do? They're not going to be able to learn all the parts. How are we going to put on this big production? And then suddenly it occurred to me, we don't have to do the whole Tempest. Um, I can assign different scenes to different groups of people. And this class can do to, you know, a little, a short scene from the Tempest and, you know, this other class. And we, and when we come together, we can kind of give an overview of the play and we don't actually have to do the whole play. And, and that freed me up so much to think, to go from something that was going to be impossible to something that was actually going to be um, possible in our school. Mm. So um, anyway, that applied there. So I thought I'd tell you. <laughs> hmm. Well, speaking of, um, limitations these next this these next two topics one well yeah these next two topics are related to limitations specifically not being able to live forever because um (laughs) you and i've talked about this a lot but um got some questions out there including questions to people you know just people at throwing out there on the facebook page and having discussion about but um how do you recommend that moms approach the mountain of classics available to them um you know it's that self-education thing um there are so many yeah right yeah so there are so many books out there and if someone's feeling the limitations of their own education um and you know obviously self-education is something that's beneficial to your students too um but there are so many classics out there it's it's hard to know where to start it's hard to know like what path exactly to take and you know obviously we're not going to live forever and and maybe even more um yeah (laughs) importantly our students are not going to be our students they're not going to be like living under our homes for that long so it's like you you have these young kids but you you and you're so busy you only have so much time to read so what do you choose like it's almost paralyzing i think for a lot of people including me actually to to know exactly like what's the next quote, great book that I should read. How do you, how do you approach that for yourself when you were, you know, you wrote in your book about how you felt like you were going on this journey of discovery as you were discovering all these great books. Right. How did you approach that for yourself? What would you change? How do you, how do you recommend moms of all different ages and, um, 
situations well, we, approach this? Well, you have, it's kind of like a growing up. You start somewhere and you slowly grow into certain books. And I would say, first of all, you're going to have to probably, number one, you're going to have to look at it as reading in small amounts. You can't, um, as you go, as the book starts to grow on you, like you'll pick up something like say, um, Dante or, um, the Iliad or one of these books, Paradise Lost, and you'll start to read it and it will be kind of boring and you won't really be into it at all. And it, it, you'll just be doing it because you know you should do it. Um, mm -hmm. And you're not even sure why you should do it, but somebody has told you you should. <laughs> and, and there are people who say, at that point say, well, this is ridiculous. Why should I do this? This is just some some arbitrary thing that somebody in some ivory tower has come up with. And I don't, I don't agree with that, but for the people willing to do the work and stick with it, um, as you go, it becomes like a snowball. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't understand this book. And all of a sudden now we're in this level, you know, we're almost through uh, purgatory and we're getting towards hell. And all of a sudden I'm fascinated by this book. And I'm, instead of reading the little bit I've set for myself to read each day, I'm reading a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, and, and that's sort of how I approach those kind of books. I just get started. The first thing I do is I pick up the book and I start reading it. Now, if you can pick up something that sounds mildly interesting to you, that's cool. Or, or if like you're going along with something like close reads, you have other people that are reading with you, but even, um, my thing is you're going to read it super slowly and you're not going to have an end plan. You're just going to read a little bit each day and then let the magic happen. Usually yeah. the magic will happen. Um, it, you'll start to read it um, more each as you get into it, as it starts to take hold of you. For some books, it doesn't happen the first time you read them. And then you get to the end of the book and you say, well, here's what you should say. I need to read that again someday because I didn't understand what the big deal was. <laughs> um, that's okay. Now you're going to pick it up again, maybe five years from now. Um, and, and when you do that, you're probably going to come to it with a whole different set of, of, of tools that you've gained over those years. But, but I would say that number one, the best thing you can do to prepare yourself for reading difficult language is to read the Bible every day. Um, this is my little mantra, but um, a lifetime of Bible reading will really prepare you for reading ancient literature or difficult literature or very complex literature. And many Christians, that's honestly, I feel like that was my saving grace from my own education growing up. I didn't um, have a lot of this going on except for the fact that my mom had bought me those classics and I read them. Um, I was coming, but I had had a habit of Bible reading. So when I started to read more difficult um, things, I was semi-prepared by my Bible reading to understand some complex language. So that that's one thing I would say. Um, always, would, always read small amounts. Would you, would you, are you someone who says like, if you're so everyone in the classical education world agrees, um, probably even the Charlotte Mason world, if we're separating the two that Homer, for example, or Shakespeare are must reads, um, that the Odyssey, the Iliad <clears throat> say, we'll just say Hamlet for the sake of conversation are, okay. are must reads. Um, would you be someone who would say that if you start reading the Odyssey and you don't get it or you don't like it, that you should just stop and move on to something else? Or would you say, just read those small bits and push through it and, and 
no, push through. I'm a push through. <laughs> um, I definitely think you should push through it. I don't think you, and there, there are going to be books that you just don't get through and you put down and you don't finish. I, I understand that. But if you could just read it in small amounts, I would just say push through. Uh, if, if your goal is to start reading some of these classics, yes, everybody should read the Iliad. Everybody should read the Odyssey. Everybody should read Shakespeare. Um, it, it's just, I, I mean, you will be surprised at how often, um, where, um, Shakespeare comes up in everyday language. Almost any book you read will have a reference to something Shakespeare has said, even if it's, a, a, they don't, even if the people who wrote the book don't realize it. Now I'll tell you a little <laughs> yeah. secret. I have never finished the fairy queen, although it's by my bedside and I'm working on it and I've never finished, uh, I've, I have not read the Aeneid and I'm reading that now very, very slowly. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to say how old I am, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still working on those things. I've, there's yeah. a lot I have read, you know, I've read paradise Lost. I loved it. I read Dante. I've read, I read the Iliad and the Odyssey and I've read some, you know, some, um, Plato and some, some of these other, uh, and some of those books are quite small. And some of the, uh, the older, really old ancient manuscripts and plays are very small. So you can pick up, it, it may be good to just pick up one of the smaller things and, um, um, the Phaedrus or, yeah, and just read that. And yeah. Start even, with even that. plays or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of, I mean, they get a little weird. So sometimes you're like, what? I mean, I know some people, if you pick up Shakespeare at the wrong point, you're like, really? Um, <laughs> um, yeah. It's sort of, you know, but if you see it as a whole, you begin to really understand that this is very important. The longest Shakespeare play is still not that long, relatively speaking. Yeah, no, no, it's, I what is it? It's three hours or so, three and a half hours, it's Anthony and Cleopatra. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, I, so I understand the, 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 and I really applaud the moms out there who know that they don't have an education and they really want to, they want to fix that. Um, I do think we, we've been complaining for all these years about what the schools are doing, what the schools are doing. And many of, of the people that listen to this podcast are, as I was myself, are victims of that bad education. And, and so yeah, we, we just have to do what we can do at this point, a little at a time. And eventually, mm. hopefully that'll all add up to an education. And it certainly adds up to delight as you start to, as this starts to, to hook up to this and you just see it's a great web of thinking that people have been doing for a long time. And now you're a part of it. You're a part of that, that, um, that great conversation. Hmm. How much stock do you put in the sort of the idea of the, the canon? Like, and you'll see these lists of the hundred greatest books or whatever. How much, how much yeah. do you put into those kind of lists to guide or to help you choose what you're reading out of this sort of capital G capital B great books? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's hard to say. I put some stock in them because you have to start. If you don't know anything, you need someone to tell you where to start. Mm -hmm. And it does help. I, I know there was a book list 
um, going around at the t- about the hundred greatest books of the century, the last century. Mm-hmm. And I went through that list, and it bothered me that there were a lot of those books I'd never read. Well, it turns out some weren't very worth reading. <laughs> as as I started working my way through the list, I realized, well, you know, I could have done without that book. Uh, Ulysses comes to mind. But, <laughs> um, although maybe Ulysses is just, I have been tempted to go back and reread it. Um, I, I, uh, you know, because of things I've heard uh, since then. And I thought, yeah. well, you know, maybe I just need to give it another try, but, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not grown up enough to read this book, but, um, um but some, there are some books that, you know, that the, that the mat, the elite, uh, especially the modern elite will, will consider extremely important that are just trash. And, and so you do have to be careful for that. And, and that's why I feel like, like with the Cersei Institute, you have people like that. You have other, other ministries, Memoria Press or um, um, Classical Academic Press. And these, these people really offer a service of helping us weed through some of that. And, and I think it's always great to have a fun book going. Um, I have about 10 books going. But at the same time, and some are books that are going to, I know are going to take me a year to read and some are books that aren't going to take me very long at all. And, and so, but I always like to make sure that, okay, I'm reading this dry book. I'm not getting much out of it, but in a few minutes, I'm going to put that down and read a murder mystery, you know? So, um, I kind of set myself up little goals when I'm done with this section of the Aeneid, I can go read my murder mystery, which I'm really enjoying very much. And I've almost figured out who done it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. it's nice to have little goals like that along the way and to always be reading something that you, just for delight, that isn't heavy. Don't all, don't only read heavy reading, make sure you're reading light reading. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, even if you read Shakespeare or the Aeneid for like 10 or 15 minutes a day, yeah, absolutely, that, that goes a long way over the course of your lifetime. Oh, Absolutely. Don't, don't feel like you have to start, um, start. If you have to start at five minutes, start at five minutes. Um, and eventually you'll finish. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to read the Odyssey in a month. You don't need to read no. the, the Odyssey, the entire divine comedy and seven Shakespeare plays just in 2018. That's right. As, That's as, right. as much as you, as much as your list, you know, as much as you'd be happy to put that in your Goodreads. Uh, oh yeah. You'd account. be like, you could be so proud of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So speaking of that, let's, this last question is just, um, for me. Um, and I am want to talk a little bit about some of the books you read into 2017. You came on, uh, close reads and ambushed Angelina in a friendly ambushed. That's right. She was, I thought, man, I'm being criticized for reading too many books. (laughs) Yeah. So you read, what was your final tally in 2017? Uh, It says here, my final tally was 110 books, which I'm, I, I didn't realize it was that, but that's what it says on here. So we'll just go with that. Um, some of them were, um, I read The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis twice. Um, and, and some of them are very, very small books. Like I, I have, I mean, if they're on here, um, you know, if I could put them on Goodreads, I will. Like um, um, the Thomas Chalmers, The Expl- Expulsive Power of a New Affection is very, very short, like a 30-minute read. Mm. Um, but I also read some of the Raj Quartet. I read some very long books also. I finished up the Raj Quartet, which um, Eva Brand um, suggested that I read or suggested everybody read. She didn't actually suggest it to me personally. Um, but um, I took her suggestion, and I'm very glad I read that quartet. It took me uh, maybe five years to read it, the whole all four books. So um, that so I have some, and then um, 
And then I have my school reading on here, things I read out loud to my students, which really helped. And a lot of, um, uh, a lot of books that I read um, on my way to work, audio books. Hmm. And if I, I've, I've really had to make peace with that because um, my reading time is cut down by working. So um, my, it, my, my commute has become a way for me to get in a lot of reading, which are audio books, but also trying to get in my 10,000 steps a day. Um, has mm. increased my audio, my audio books. I was on a podcast recently and the girl had one of these things where she asked two questions, like you're supposed to say this or that, you know, Coke or Sprite or, mm. you know, all these things. And she said, podcasts or music. And I was, I was like, I don't do either one of those. I do audio books. <laughs> I don't do podcasts very often. Sorry to say, um, I do a few podcasts and then, but I mostly do audio books. So so I do have a lot of audiobooks on my on my list. I have half of the books I read almost were audiobooks. Okay. Can you give us an audio an audiobook that you loved not necessarily as a book but that you loved as an audiobook like because of the the performer the reader um it just suited the audiobook formally formally. Oh, absolutely. If uh, Neil Gaiman, his books translate really well to audio. Um, his book, Neverwhere, which I actually read as a BBC dramatization, um, was absolutely, uh, it, I mean, he has weird books. His books are weird. But um, I love that on audio. Uh, one of my favorite audio books is, uh, um, and this is another author that translates very well to audio, is The We Free Men by um, Terry, who wrote that, uh, The We Free Men. Um, that's an excellent, excellent um, audio book. Um, I, 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 could, I had never, ever read The Once and Future King, and mm -hmm. I read that this year on audio, and that was unbelievably wonderful audio book. <laughs> Highly recommend it. That makes audio. sense. I have... Terry Pratchett, We Free Men. Terry Pratchett, Terry Pratchett. <laughs> that makes sense that... Um... The Once a Future King would be a good audiobook now that I think about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm really all about the voice. I voices get me. So I love uh British uh narrators. Um, so I'm good with um I'm trying to think of who did that book. I can't remember who was the um um the I listened to a few books this year that Dan Stevens narrated. He's the guy from he plays oh, Matthew yes. yeah. Matthew and Down Abbey. Okay. <laughs> He narrated a few James Bond books. I listened to one of those this year, and he narrated oh. um, a good version of. Um, so think, he's in the. I, if that makes me feel like he's in the running as wanting to be the next Bond. I don't know about that, but he also did um, a couple of uh, Christie books. I think he did The Murder on the Orient Express, and and then there were none. I think. Yeah, I listened to because it was free on my Hoopla app. I listened to Murder on the Orient Express by Kenneth Branagh. Mm. which of course was excellent, but I would like to listen to Dan Stevens. I think he has a nice voice and that he would be a good audio reader. I, I can see that. Okay. Uh, um, is there a kid's book that you read to your students? We'll call it kid, kids is a very general term. I'll just leave it general. I won't okay. choose a, a book that a kid's book that you loved um, that you read to your students this year. 
Well, I read Johnny Tremaine. That's just mm-hmm. always hits me. It's such a great book. Such a wonderful, wonderful. How book. old would you would you say kids should be before? You uh, my student was eleven, and he was just perfect for that. He got okay. on a whole Johnny Tremaine kick and could not stop talking about Johnny Tremaine. Johnny Tremaine mm-hmm. <laughs> um, went home, told his family all about it. Um, um, th- th- so that was an excellent book. Uh, we are we read The Wheel on the School. That that's another uh, Mitre. Dijon, one of those um, beautiful, that's a beautiful story. I love that book. Um, we read, I'm trying to think what else I read out loud. We, we're, we're reading through the Little House series. So we're on the long winter right now. So we read the other, we read Farmer Boy. So that was excellent. So now <laughs> it's kind of good. Good audiobooks, by the way. Yes. Oh, I didn't read them in audiobooks. So, um, but, but yeah, I don't know who, who does those, but I imagine they would be good. Um, I think the wind in the willows might be a good audiobook. I have one version of it. We, one time as the, the kids and I listened to an Alice in Wonderland once that was so wonderfully, uh, done on audio, but I've never been able to figure out who it was, um, that we never, ever forgot, um, how much fun it was on audio. I think the Little House books are narrated by Cherry Jones or something. Like oh that. yes, yes. Those okay, are, those are that, really that makes sense. Yeah, she's she. I'm sure she has a good Midwestern voice there. <laughs> um, yeah, but we're but we now we're reading um, the Long Winter and of course Almanzo. This is his first appearance, and we had just read. Um, uh, farmer boy which seemed like a really good place to read it right before he appears in the little house books hmm. so um now he's we're gonna find out tomorrow if he goes and saves everybody by getting some wheat or he lets the whole oh, town yeah. die <laughs> <laughs> it's all on almanzo yeah <laughs> is there a classic book you read in 2017 for the first time a classic book i read for the first time like- Capital G, capital B again. We'll we'll say that. Okay, let me see here. Or maybe it could even be a Shakespeare play you've never read before. I don't know if there are any of those. No, left. I've read all Shakespeare. Many. Um, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I haven't read. I've read. I read. I read fourteen Shakespeare plays last year. I read Till We Have Faces last year. Hmm. But those were all rereads for me. And I don't think I read any. I read Jane Eyre, which was a reread. I did a I, last year. The Once and Future King was like the classicest book that I'd never read. Um, okay. But I did not read anything. Um, really like ancient last year um that that would would fit in that i reread a lot of books sounds like it was yeah i was gonna say it sounds like the year of the reread for you i wanted it to be a reread year and it was and that was so wonderful and now i'm gonna keep making sure i make reread a lot um this year Hmm. but all the most of the books that i read um last year that would fall into that would have been shakespeare and was there was there a book that surprised you a book that surprised well or disappointed you we my husband and i read the two julian fellows books that he has written that go along kind of um and one was past imperfect and the other was belgravia Mm -hmm. and um they were both just okay books but they were they were really fun uh escapist books Mm -hmm. if you wanted to read they weren't you know they're just three star books they weren't you know gonna oh wow this is the greatest book ever yeah yeah um they were excellent. Um, I read The Rector of Justin, which I'd never read before, which is highly recommended by David Hicks. And yeah, I, I yeah. enjoyed that book a lot. I thought it was an excellent book. And of course, um, it was. Yeah, my dad but, loves that book. I've never read yeah. it. I need to yeah, read it's that. a very good book. Very good book. Um, I read Hillbilly Elegy, and I and I liked it. Um, um, I gave it four stars, but it was 
probably a three and a half star book for me because I think it was kind of long. He felt like he said what he had to say and he could have just stopped saying it. <laughs> and then um, I read um, at, at Mary Jo Tate, which I think we talked about this already, but one, she suggested One Writer's Beginnings by Eudora Welty. That mm. was a really good book. Very short, but excellent. And I read, I also read Silence um, by um, Shusaka Window. And, uh, yes. Yeah. And I, it was, that book had a profound influence on me. And um, it, it was something to think about. I don't know, you know, I, I'm still thinking about it. I don't know what to think about it, but it yeah. was, it was yeah. very uh, it, moving. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, final question before we uh, head off. What is there a book that you are? eagerly anticipating reading in 2018 that's on your list or on your stack or maybe hasn't even been released yet something something in that vein that you're just oh, you're ready to get yeah. to yeah i really really like when deborah crombie comes out with new books i've read all of her books and i think she's coming out and then the alan bradley books there's a new um these are just for fun books there's a yeah. new flavia deluch uh book that's out i haven't read that yet so i'm looking really looking forward to to that um and i'm trying to think if there's any other books that i'm really excited about i feel like i heard of a book recently that i was super excited about but i can't remember what it was so that's the way it goes um let me see yeah so that's um i have 79 books in my want to read <laughs> file on um that's where i'm in the panic panic stage so um <laughs> will i ever get to those books i have no idea <laughs> what you're gonna try yes i am well do you have any final thoughts before we head off uh no i don't i think um um I, what about you? Do you have, have you, did you have any, I feel like I should ask you about your reading and I just took up all the time asking about you asking about my reading. What was your best book of the year? Did you Ooh. already talk about this on close reads? Um, man. Well, I do. The thing about close reads is we read a lot of pretty good books there. So I get that almost everything we read over there, I at least um, value. Uh, I read Anybody who listens to Close Reads will have heard me talk about this ad nauseum. Probably, I read a lot of spy novels. So oh, you're right, right. you're uh, you love those the um, murder mysteries, and I love classic spy novels in particular. So I read um, uh, um, a guy named Eric Ambler. I read three of his oh. books last year. I think okay. he, he wrote his books um, in the 20s, 30s, or at least they take place kind of oh. around World War One ish, and they're always about sort of like right well not always but mostly they're about regular people not they're not like trained spies who get caught right. up in, who get somehow caught up in international espionage and a lot of his books the his style and his um the way he presents the stories was a big influencer on the james bond stories and john le carré and um some of the other mystery stories that are uh, spy novels that became classics graham green called him um the greatest I can't know if he said the greatest adventure writer or the greatest um, um, entertainment novelist of their age. And that's um, Eric Ambler? Yeah, A-M-B-L-E-R. Um, he has a book called Journey to Fear, which is really, really good. Um, and then his classic is called A Coffin for Demetrius. Well, there was a British title and an American title. And I think the one that's most you're most likely to find here, like on Amazon, is called, I think they titled it A Coffin for Demetrius. So. A coffin for. Have you ever read Helen McInnes? 
No, I have not. Okay, she has all spy novels, and I think they're excellent. I'll um, check that out. And yeah, like- I think you would like her if you like. Um, they're very well written. She um, was married to Gilbert Hyatt, hmm. okay, and he was a classical uh, scholar. Yeah. So. Okay, I will check that. Helen McInnes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Eric Ambler, he's become right. my. My, uh, I will actually I will look that up because I think I would like this. Really, very, very good writer. It's not just entertaining. Like He knows how <laughs> right, to right. tell a story, but also just he's a very gifted stylist as well. And that, you know, I get <clears throat> I get a little bored just with r- the style of the writing is important to me, I guess. Like I, if it's a good story, I, I can get bored with a perfectly good yarn if, if I'm getting tired of the sentences. Or writing, yeah. yeah. What about the Magret? The French books, have you read those? Are those like any good? Uh, the Magret, mm. M-A-I? I think they're spy novels. But anyway. I haven't read those. I haven't read those. So okay. I can't, I don't know. The yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Eric Ambler is kind of like, if, you, if you're into John Buchan, for example, yeah, like it's a slightly more literary, not highbrow, but a yeah, slightly a little more, more sophisticated. sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I do love John Buchan. So if you, you know. Well, I think Buckin's a great introduction to that for kids. And, you know, sure, I mean, yeah. I think they're good books, but um, they're, good read, they're yeah. good to read aloud, too. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely fun books, the Buckin books and uh, and some of his other. But I honestly, I I feel like you'll love McGinnis because she hits it from that same literary, very sophisticated um, novels, not um, not silly, not real silly. But also, like you said, real people that sometimes are just, you know, traveling around. And next thing you know, they're. Um, they're like Jimmy Stewart and the man who knew too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, like, I like John le Carre's novels. Um, he's kind of considered the, if not the greatest yeah. spy novel of all. Novels yeah. of all time. He, yeah. was an, he was a spy in the cold war. And so his books are about professional trained spies and like the inner workings of that and the complications that come with that. So that's, they're also like the man who knew or um, the spy who came in from the cold is my favorite spy novel of all time. And it's not long. It's like 190 pages. Yeah. I read that this year or either this year, or last year or the year before I read that. And I did enjoy that book a lot. Yeah, some people really don't like it because it's kind of, it ends in kind of a gray way, you know, like you're, right, he's, right. it doesn't end with like the happy ending. You might, the resolution you might hope for. Um, right. But that's partly because of Le Carre's experience as a spy. And he's a little ambivalent about that whole world. So, um, uh, that's one of the reasons I like spy novels, like a lot of people like mystery novels, and I like those too as, as well. But like, there's a the levels of the moral questions that can come up in in the world of a spy novel are so complicated and yeah. so prevalent even now that um, this I, there's just something there's so many layers to the story and to the to the way the characters can be dealing with what's going on around them. That do you think? Do you think spy novels are different than thrillers? Like now there there's so many thrillers that are, you know, like all the Well, I mean, I think you can have a lot of crossover. Like a lot yeah. of people write spy novels that are just about thrillers and a lot of thrillers can be more complicated. But the spy novelist tends to have an, a sort of essential question behind it, like um about whether or not what they're doing is morally okay. Yes. Well, like, yes. And so th- when that's the question, that's always going to make the character is more complicated right? than just right. If, if it's a very competent person who's just on an adventure that can be fun, but not always as um, it's not going to cause you to think as much all the time. And a really good spy novel, I think has at its core that, that sort of central 
abiding question of like what is, how much is too much or is what i'm doing yes morally like just? It, yeah how how far do we go <laughs> and, and exactly. before we cross the line that exactly that can't be changed right and, and you know there's always the question of, i mean it's the stuff we see on the news now like yeah <laughs> how, how much is we're trying to protect ourselves we're trying to protect people but at what cost you know and like that's always the central question in a good spy novel. And I'm just, I'm just interested in that question, um, especially if the writer is, is, has the ability to write well and to right, kind of like right. let that, the conversation. I think that makes a huge through. difference, especially in very popular genres like mystery and, and, that, and thrillers. Um, it, the, the finding somebody who writes well is, is so much fun compared to just, you know, oh, I'm just reading this trash that people throw out. It's like, it's like in comedy as well. Like there's lots of comedy writers, but like Woodhouse was an amazing, and he's going to last for a long time because yeah. of, he was, he's very funny and his characters are very funny, but he also just, his, he could write so well. Like he knew how to yes. craft the sentence so well. And that yes. I mean, there, a lot of it, we, we, the more you read, the more you're like, oh, everything he says is funny. You just don't, catch, <laughs> you just don't catch all the, the, the dry humor that he's put in there. It almost doesn't really matter what happens in a Woodhouse novel. Like no. I've read my favorite of his novels. I've probably read or listened to three or four or five times. And I don't, I couldn't really tell you exactly what happens in those because I don't really care. It's it's the whole experience of reading it and just the way he plays with language and the way that, you know, the moments that are so funny. I remember the moments more than I do the plots because yeah, the plots are yeah. really non-existent. <laughs> Every once in a while, he just says something that's just so funny. So right on. Terry Pratchett is kind of like that. I feel like um, he's not as good a writer as um, Woodhouse, but he, for our times, he's a pretty good writer. Well, he's, I'll have he's, to check him out. I've never read him. He's passed away, but he, a lot of his books are his, his whole Discworld. It's a lot of satire um, okay. on our, on our culture. So they're probably going to be dated. Although I guess you could say Woodhouse is kind of dated in the, you know, some of his themes, but his, his prose is definitely not. Well, and, and, Ridiculous people getting into ridiculous yes. <laughs> escapades is always funny. Yes. <laughs> that's never yes. going to go away. No, that's true. That's true. So it, we, uh, anybody that's never read P.G. Woodhouse should definitely add one of his books or a book of short stories to your reading list for 2018. Like The Code yeah, of the Roosters you, you, is my favorite, I think. Yeah, you, he, he's the one you should read every year. Like he, you can you can knock out one of those so quickly that to always yeah, have a book. Yeah, I, always liked, I always like to have a Lewis book. Um, going every year. I always read C.S. Lewis every year. And I always, and I think it's great. I read P.G. Woodhouse last year. I just laughed my head off. I had it on audio. My husband had gotten an audio book. It was like free or cheap. And it was a kind of a long one. It had bunches and bunch of his, of his stories, but you didn't, even though basically they're the same silly story over and over again, yeah. you just <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed every time. Um, it was so, so refreshing. Yeah, if you don't know, uh, it's a it's like early twentieth century uh, English. Like the uh, the main character in a lot of the novels is um, is Bertram Wooster, Bertie Wooster, who's kind of like a he never works. He's independently wealthy young British guy, aristocracy, and he's got this butler named Jeeves who gets him out of scrapes. And it's also got a lot, it does have a lot of commentary on the sort of passing away of of this old world that everyone took for granted and yeah. Wooster's kind of caught up in that. So there's a lot more going on than meets the eye on the, you know, at first. So definitely check, definitely check PG Woodhouse out if you've never read him before. 
But you know, yes. we we started wrapping this up like ten minutes ago. Yeah. Yes. So. We've gone long today. <laughs> well, uh, thanks to everyone who sent in questions. If you want to uh, send in questions for our February Q and A episode, you can send them to me or to Cindy or through the Facebook page. Uh, Cindy, uh, what is your email address at? Um, Cindy at ordo-amoris.com. <laughs> How confusing is that? <laughs> you can get me at david at circeinstitute.com. Or of course, again, you can just find us over on the Facebook page. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show through Patreon. Um, to everyone who's subscribed, leaving comments and reviews and things like that. Those go a long way. Um, so we appreciate your feedback and your support. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, hopefully everyone's got a lot of books to add to their list. Um, and hopefully uh, everyone's okay with limitations after this episode. That's right. Slow and steady <laughs> wins the race. <laughs> exactly. For Cindy Rollins and for all of us here at Cersei, I am David Kern saying farewell. Thanks so much for listening to the Mason Jar on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.